Welcome to Let's Talk. Here we will focus on the hustle, the juggle, and everyday struggle of small business. We will be here every week talking to small business owners about their everyday struggles, stresses, and ways they have been able to overcome the challenges of running their business. We welcome questions and comments, so please feel free to email us at admin at plemonscpa.com. We hope you enjoy, and above all, we hope it helps. Well, hello and welcome to the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business. I am Thalia Williams, your host for today, and we have in our studios today Mr. Rick Stockton of J.R. Stockton Consulting, LLC. Welcome, Rick. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Like a lot of folks, I went to school. Like a lot of other folks, I ended up changing majors a couple of times and finally graduated with a degree in engineering. After that, I sort of got lost. I was a designer, and that was my goal. And for some reason, uh, the only jobs available was during the oil crunch were sort of manufacturing engineering, helping other people's designs work in manufacturing. So I started doing that. I did that for about 15 years. It was neat stuff. It was not what I did best. It felt like completely being sidetracked and... It turned out to be the best thing in the world. Really? So now how long have you been in the engineering business in the capacity you are now after finding your path? Well, here's a really funny thing. I should say that uh, the, uh, I forget their exact name, but the Texas Certified Board of Engineers or whatever, if you don't have a PE after your name, which is what people generally get so that they can build bridges and things like that, if you don't have one of those, you call yourself an engineer. You got penalties and uh, a prison and everything else. Oh so, my! Yeah, so I'm going to throw something in here. If I uh, if I say engineer, I'm talking about back when I had engineering titles, like I don't know a dozen or so different ones over the years. Um, when I'm talking about myself today, I always say designer because usually uh, if you want to. If you want to have an engineering title, you're usually working underneath the company that has an engineer. And believe it or not, in the field that I work in, that is probably that is probably the least bureaucratic part of anything I do. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So what's the name of your business as a designer? It is J.R. Stockton Consulting, and it has a uh, subunit called Normal Product Design, but that was so hard for me to say that I've just gone back to J.R. Stockton. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you do? What type of product or service do you offer? Uh, I, I get to work for geniuses. Uh, these are people who come up with concepts and inventions. I remember watching a show about the 21st century back when I was a teenager. And, uh, oh heck, even before then. And we were going to be running out of food. We were going to be, uh, we wouldn't have any energy. We wouldn't have anything to power anything. Um, and we'd and we'd all be in just terrible shape. And th- they were just predicting based on increasing population and, and everything else. They, they didn't figure that the rate of growth of population would start to tone down a little bit. And they also didn't figure out that we were going to have 
a regular supply of geniuses coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And so, out of the blue, a fellow called me a few years ago, and he had this amazing idea. He had figured out an algorithm for how to take the temperature of a, of a food animal in such a way that they were able to predict when diseases were going to happen and when something was going to, uh, when something was going to decimate a herd of these animals. And, and they were able to basically save entire herds by catching it early. The best, most observant human being would still, not only, would still only observe the sickness two to three days later. And this guy figured out how to do that. Just amazing. Another person is... Um, Another person figured out a way to treat Alzheimer's. I couldn't talk about it for eight years because of our agreements and until I saw it on Fox one day. And there it was. Uh, just incredible stuff. Things I never would have thought of. Their problem is that sometimes they have one device and they have one thing that they've gotten working pretty well. Or they have it working, but it's expensive. And they can't get it to produce the same way every time. And, and they're... they're basically having trouble making it and they don't know how to design it so that it'll, you know, so that they can get tons of these things out to the masses. And that's what I help with. So that's essentially my whole business is putting wings on genius projects. I work with people who are, and there's so many of them. I I get to work with a little section of people who are just changing the world with the stuff that they do. And you managed to bring it from concept to concreteness so that the masses can utilize it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite thing to do is take a medical device and make it inexpensive so that everybody can buy one. That's probably that's probably the one of the most thrilling things that you could think of. It's because some of this stuff is so expensive. And it doesn't, sometimes it has to be, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So what have been some of the challenges you've had in running your business? I mean, when you talked about when you finally got out of college and you realized this isn't really what I want to do, and you decided down to go down the road of having your own consulting firm, what are some of the challenges you've had in getting it up and running to where it is now? Well, the challenges I've had is are probably the same as everybody else has. Um my particular business, I usually have a small number of customers. The most, the most I've had at the same time, probably about five. The least, one. And, and I'll be doing a lot of work for them. I'll be bringing other people in to do work, either subcontracting them or bringing them into the project. And depending on what the needs are, because I just know a lot of folks. But the biggest challenges have been two, really. And there are two phone calls that you get. And um, one phone call is, boy, I didn't realize that the costs were going where they're going on this project. And the other one that you got is, boy, I thought the project was would be farther along or wasn't this far along, usually farther along than this. So I really don't know. So, So you've surprised your client. And those are things that, you know, if I was selling cell phone cases, that would be one thing. But if you're selling services and your client and gets surprised by the cost or they get surprised by uh, 
where the project is or what it is. That's just terrible. And so about 2018, I started thinking, maybe it was even earlier, I started thinking, well, what can I do so that nobody gets surprised? Because these are horrible phone calls. I mean, you don't want to get them no matter what you're doing. Um, And generically, my business is consulting, but consulting is so broad, it could be anybody who gives some kind of concentrated service to anybody on anything. It could be mowing the lawn on a large estate. It could be anything. And so, so I worked on a couple of ways to do it. And one of them was I would have something online that they could use, and I just use Microsoft Word online or Microsoft Excel online, depending on what I'm doing. And those are things that are free, and you can, you can get out there and put your expenses in there and what you've been doing and how much and when you did it. And you can just keep that online. You can send your customer a link. And then you can remind them every once in a while of how things are going. But if, you're, but if you remind them all the time, it gets obnoxious. And if you never tell them, then you're taking a risk. So I remind them once in a while of where things are. And then I also send a link out and say, all the details are out here. So as soon as I started doing that, I never got another call on cost again. Amazing. Nobody was ever surprised. And, and these people are amazing, and they have a lot of different things to do. They're changing the entire world. And they don't need to have to run around keeping track of what I'm doing. True. Very true. And you've offered them a, another level of service that they hadn't anticipated having, and that endears them to you even more so because you've put the onus now on them to check when it's available for them to do so versus they look up and go, oh, wait, I haven't heard from Rick or I haven't heard from the consultant. What, what's the status of this? And that's least worry for them now that they know, oh, it's out there for me to look whenever. Yeah. Well, it does put a little, it does put a little of the responsibility on them. Uh, in other words, they can never say, boy, I was surprised by this. And so I say, you could never look up that link on your cell phone. I wouldn't actually say those words to them, but that's the implication. But, but really, I just feel like I'm giving them what they always deserved and what I had just figured out how to give them. And so, um, and so those, calls, yeah, those calls, I didn't get them very frequently, but they completely stopped. That's good. I never got another one of those calls. They were never surprised. They never felt like they were not in control because they should be, because they're hiring me and they're counting on me to watch their back. So that's what I'm going to do. Then the other thing is, sometimes they don't know where the project is. And in something that I do, it's very visual. I'm I'm a designer. I do all that solid modeling design. Some some of it's mundane. Some of it's really cool. Uh, And sometimes in process, wouldn't it be great if they sort of had a screenshot and they could say, oh, yeah, that's... That's what this is. Okay, we're at this stage. And maybe just a list of questions. I'm working on this. I'm working on this. Do you want to go with black or white on this? Do you want this rounded or, you know, prismed or whatever? And ask them all kinds of questions that they want to know about their product and give them a chance to get back to me at their own speed. Or when I get up to that point where I have to know, I'll give them a call. So so those were, that was a little less severe. But it was always a great way to communicate to them. So if I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to show them, I could just say, I could paste a bunch of them in an email. I could say, these are also online here. And they could just go to it. 
So those were the those were the biggest the biggest two challenges of of doing work. The engineering part's not that hard. Mm, okay. Or or I should say, <clears throat> yeah, Texas uh, engineering guys, the design part is not so hard. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, tell me, why do you persist? What drives you to keep going? I mean, you've implemented those solutions, but what else drives you to keep going? Um, I think uh, the biggest thing, you know, in 2008, we had all those economic problems. And in 2009, everybody started realizing they weren't going to get fixed anytime soon. So everybody started laying off everybody. And, and I found a couple of things happened simultaneously. Um, one of them was no money, still had a mortgage payment. And another thing that happened was that I got in touch with a neat group called Career Transition Workshop, where I currently am one of the several mentors that are there. And they really showed me how to find jobs that were hidden. And that sounds like, oh, well, I guess you just look up under hidden jobs, and it's not that simple. When I was laid off from my large medical device company, my impression was that there was no other medical device companies in town. I didn't know of any. There were certainly no big ones like the 7,000-person, now 4,000-person firm that I got laid off from. And and it was terrible. And so the mentors at Career Transition Workshop said, well, the best jobs are not advertised. You go and find them. And they started a, they had a 12-week program, which while I was building my business up, I went through it four times. And it's free, and it's neat, and and I learned how to find things that are that are hidden to most people, and there's nothing complicated about it. It's just a matter of learning and practicing and and doing. And so, in the process of that, uh, got my first huge customer up in Austin. Spent a bunch of time up there, and spent the rest of the time working from home back here. And so in the beginning, what drove me was, my gosh, I've got to pay bills. And I'm doing something, and I have zero idea who I'm going to work for. Well, I found out there are people all over the place. I found out there is a real big place for marketing. A friend of mine named Joe Hage, I hired his group to do my website. And now everybody who sees it is going like, oh, well, that's really great. That's much more engaging. And that's because I had a marketing guy. It's still my material, but I had a marketing guy arrange it. I had somebody who was really good at that do it, and and it's and he was doing the same thing for me that I do for other people. Other people have I may have a great service, but he put it in a great light, and so some people may have great ideas and great designs, and I make it possible to I, I redesign them so that they can be manufactured readily. And that people even get what they need. And it's it's really an invisible task. Once it's done, it looks like it was obvious. I mean, why did you always do it that way? But um, but it's neat. It's just neat being able to make these things happen. Um, and it's neat having something that you're good at. I think everyone wants to, right? So Yeah, it is. It is. It's huge. So how critical is it how critical is support to you? I mean, when you talked about having to figure out now I still got to pay the bills, but how do I go and find those hidden jobs or those things that they say are out there, but I can't obviously see them. 
How critical is that support to you to give you that motivation to keep moving forward? Well, the support from who? Anyone, be it family, business advisors. I mean, you talked about the organization that helped you Mm -hmm. four times. (laughs) They were so critical. Uh, Career Transition Workshop was so critical. I, I had been, I mean, I'd been having engineering title after engineering title. I'd been working for 25 years, okay, out there as an engineer. And you would think that I was pretty good at finding jobs because, you know, we're smart guys, right? I could no more fly than find a job uh, compared to, I mean, I would, I would call some recruiters and things like that. Occasionally I'd get turned on to somebody. But it was terrible. It was a desert out there. And then the jobs you end up settling for are really not great. They're, you know, they're, they're the kind of jobs that they had to work and work and advertise and advertise and advertise. They had to hire recruiters to go out and get people for them. Um, and the jobs that are the best are the ones where you're out making contact with people and doing things. I'll give you an example. Um, my first huge job, it was great. Uh, it paid off all of our debts. It got us out of trouble. It was it was wonderful. It went for two and a half years or two and a quarter years. It was great. It went a lot longer than I thought it because I did one project. And they said, well, could you also do this? And, and so then we did two more new projects and everything else. It was going to just be a few months. And so I called a guy that I used to know from somewhere else that I worked, and I would see him in meetings, and he would run a meeting occasionally. So I knew what his name was, and he had a real interesting name. So I gave him a call. And... And we got to talking, and, oh, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm here, I'm consulting up here, and I didn't have any customers. I'm consulting up here in uh, San Antonio, and uh, he was in Austin. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'm doing this, I'm just getting a business started and everything like this. And so we were starving, we were living off of savings, we were fixing to cash in retirement and everything else. So it wasn't going great. So I was having a conversation with him. I think I was over in the Jerusalem grill and it was, and, and so we got talking and he said, Hey Rick, by the way, I'm looking for this one little component. And he sort of laid out what it was. And uh, yeah, you don't know what that's called or where I could get it to you. And I said, you don't know, but I know some guys who know some guys I'll check around. And I did. I made a couple of phone calls and a day later got back to him with three sources for it, what makes a good one and what makes a bad one, who to call, and, uh, and a suggestion on which one to go with. And so that was it. Uh, but I was doing, as we were, one of the things we were trained to do in CTW, networking isn't, hey, you know, I'm starving and I'm a vampire and if you'll let me, I'm just going to drain your blood while you, uh, while you tell me great secrets and then I'll go off and forget about you. They, career transition workshop teaches it exactly the other way. They'll say, well, hi, I'm your friend, remember me? And I'm here, how can I help you? So a week and a half later, I get a call back. And he says, now you know, the stuff that I sent him had been sitting on his desk, and he'd been able to use it to get answers for himself, and he hadn't had to spend days figuring it out. And so while he was doing that, he's also remembering hey, Rick Stockton's out there, and he's maybe available to do work. So he calls me, and he says, how's your schedule? I go, I had no work at all. I'd had a couple of tiny little projects, but I was dry as dry bones. And so, so I said, well, 
you know, I've got some room on my schedule. I Conveniently, a, yes, you did, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, 168 hours in a week. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it was done. And so, uh, so I said, well, why don't you come up and talk? And so then I got to use, uh, we, we, have, we have sessions in Career Transition Workshop, all kinds of things. So the, so the guy who's interviewing me, a senior guy brought down from Chicago, and he's saying, he's saying, well, how much would you like? You know, how much, you know, what's your fees? And I said, well, you know, I've talked with Ken. I know you guys are straight shooters. I know you guys are uh, a good company to work with. So I trust you to set the fee. I know anything you offer me is going to be more than fair. So I let it go. We talk about more design and engineering stuff and all that good stuff. And then he asked me again, well, so how much do you want? And I said, you guys are great. You know, I'm more convinced now than ever. You know what you're doing, and I'm sure that anything that you offer me is going to be fair. So we went on for a while. Then the third time he said, okay, and a couple of words I can't repeat on radio. And, uh, but they were nice. They were nice. I mean, when, when uh, someone from Chicago or Boston or New York uh, swears at you, it can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. Depending and on the context, right? It was great, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's asking me. So, so he says, okay, no. Tell me, what is it really? And I told him. And by then, I'd had all kinds of chances to think about what kind of work that he'd want and everything else and where he was willing to go. And and it was great. But these are the things that, but it's about 100, 200 little things that you learn over a course of 13, 12, 13 weeks. And, and they would just teach us to, you know, during negotiation, always just push it off. And it's really the best for everybody because... If you don't have an apt answer to give to somebody, if you don't have a if you don't have a good reply, then you're only going to do two things: you're going to get wrong going over, you're going to get wrong going under. Mm-hmm. So, why not just let the conversation go? Because you want it to be a really great deal for him. You want him to be super happy that he found you and that he's paying you and everything else like this. And and you want your significant other to be super happy when you show them the money. And they get to deposit it in the bank. Of course. Yeah. So that was, but that was, that, those were all the kinds of things that we were taught. And and the biggest thing is I think most people want to be nice people. Mm-hmm. But learning how to do nice person in business is really not all that easy sometimes. Because we're, you know, we're nervous and we have questions and we, and we don't know really we don't know really where the boundaries are. Maybe we know how to interact with our kids, but business is brand new and we're trying to figure out, uh, and we really haven't done a lot of reading and we're going, Oh my gosh, I've got to get some money together. And, uh, and there's some, you know, we haven't had over the years, God knows how many times I've read through the book of Proverbs. That is the best, that is the best um, book on business that I've ever read. It just has so many little gems in it. But when you're going into this and you're getting into business, you're just going, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I don't know what to say to anybody. Hi, we have Chris Hall here from Pontum Financial talking about the Power Five. Could you brief us on that? The Power Five is a group of five specific professionals that every business owner should have in their toolbox. It kind of starts off with the financial planner, the CPA, the attorney, the insurance agent, and the banker. 
So all of those different people are going to serve a different function inside of a person's business or personal life. Most of the time, your business is going to overflow into your personal life either way. But those people operate much like a football team. Everybody's going to have a particular role, but you have to have them communicate with one another, which is usually where we see a lot of balls being dropped. Those people, if they're not sitting around a table advising you and one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, it can cause a lot of headaches. So we always recommend those five people in particular, the CPA, the financial planner, the attorney, the insurance person, and the banker. Well, if we want more information, how's the best way to reach you at Pontum Financial? Feel free to reach out to our office. We're right off of 281 and Bitters. Call us at 210-625-4845, or you can follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn, and you can check out our website at pontumfinancial.com. That's P-O-N-T-E-M, financial.com. Chris Hall is a partner with Pontum Financial and offers securities and investment products and services through Waddell and Reed Inc. WRI member FINRA slash SIPC. Pontum Financial is a separate entity from WRI. So how important is support? Um, it is great that my wife tolerates me at home. I am so happy that I don't drive her crazy. Um, my kids are actually away from home working more than I am. I've got two or three people, and they're outside the house. And I can call them anytime. And I can say, okay, you know I'm a good guy. You know I'm a faithful guy. But right now, I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, I'm just so exhausted, or something's gone wrong, or whatever. And they won't say, oh, well, you're, you're a grown-up man. You should know how to handle all these things. You should be on top of everything emotionally all the time. And, uh, and you're just going like, that's exactly what you don't need at that time. What you do need is someone who knows you well and says, uh, you're just calling them up, saying, you know what? Just remind me of the things that are true. I need to hear these things. So having, if you can have two or three people, one of them is uh, Pat Harper. She's the, uh, she's the former head of Career Transition Workshop before she relocated to uh, Dallas. And uh, she is amazing. She just really is. And I've got uh, a fellow over in South Carolina and one other guy. And, uh, and it is just, it's important to have a handhold when things are really insane. So probably probably the most important thing is information you decide to take in. And the other important thing is probably who you decide to spend time with. And people have rephrased that lots of different ways, but it really is. It's just like Dave Ramsey's The Three Most Important Things About Work is uh, be on time, do what you said you'd do, and smile. And literally, if you can do those three things, you're going to do okay. It's not, you know, it's those are those are maybe like basic colors if you ever did any painting. Mm-hmm. And and you end up mixing and matching those. And um, and you end up figuring out what kinds of people you like. And then you decide you want to be one of those. 
So you're sitting there going, well, that person was really faithful to me. Well, I'm going to make sure that person gets taken care of. You know, and not just that person who is good to you, but the next guy down the line, mm-hmm. somebody who's working with you, who maybe is having a hard time. Maybe he's not getting treated very well by one customer or another. Well, is it worth trading some political capital uh, to stick up for that guy? Yeah, it is. Will you maybe lose an opportunity or two to get a little more personal wealth? Yeah, you probably will. Maybe. But you just try and decide who you want to be and just do your best to love everybody. And it's it's not easy because sometimes you'll be so busy wondering if you can even figure out how to get a job done that you're not thinking about anything but survival. True. Very true. And that's part of that hustle, juggle, and struggle of yeah. a small business owner. So tell us a little bit about maybe a failure that you learned from either dealing with a client or dealing with a product or a process or something that may not have worked out as well as you would have liked it to uh-huh. have. I was looking over those questions beforehand. And so so I, I, if I just started writing in, after about three or four pages, I would have then had to pick one. We don't have three or four pages worth of time, Rick. <laughs> one comes right to mind. Okay. So I was doing this work for this guy, and I was designing some large equipment for him. And, uh, and, and he was kind of an older gentleman, even older than I am, lots older, and smart. But occasionally would forget things. Um, and uh, one time we showed up in California on site. And, and the thing that we had to bolt something onto was totally different than he had thought it would be. Unfortunately, I'd been wondering that myself. And so I said, I'll tell you what, how about if we make an adapter just in case this happens to us? So... He paid me a little bit more. I made the adapter. Boy, it was a good idea. And at that point in time, we were really okay. But then something like that happened again. And we just sort of showed up. And it was a different piece of equipment than we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, Ricky really screwed up. And I was like, well, are you sure I did? Because take a look at this. We didn't have this anywhere in any of our notes. And um, and at that point in time, when we got back, I should have said, you know, let's talk about this. And it doesn't seem like much of a mistake until you find out what happened after that. So I went out to California again with some stuff that I'd made. And he said, this is terrible. This will never bolt onto this. These are completely wrong. You totally, you totally fouled up. And I said, can you send me a picture of the machine? And he did. And I said, I've never seen a machine like that in my life. And there's nothing like that in any of the plans that we went through. And I would have to design a completely different thing to fit that machine. The second time it happened, we should have had a little come-to-Jesus moment where we got together and talked about it. Now, the thing is, if you've got a customer, and you kind of personally like them, and they're doing a good job for you, in other words, they're, they're paying you money, and you're doing a good job for them, but there gets to be a misunderstanding. Find the first quiet time you can and straighten that out. I've got a list of lessons learned, and that's a big one on it. 
I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, if you've got some bad communication that's getting you some acrimony, then then get it straightened out. The risk is that it may turn into an argument that ends your business relationship. Well, I found out that it's better to it's better to take that chance. And since then I've had that opportunity. And I've taken that chance and I've been glad I did and one of the people I did is a customer that I just did some more work for this morning. And we've got uh I've got another one who just contacted me. He says, hey, I've got a third job I want you to do. Wow. So lessons learned. I got a list. I'm sure. So that's a failure that you learned from. But tell us about a success that you learned from as well. We don't have three pages worth of time, Rick. Got to be one. Yes, it's just be one. one. Just one. <laughs> I had, it's like the last one. I had one in mind, and I thought of an even better one. But uh, listening uh, to the customer paying a lot of attention to what they're saying and understanding that they may be saying things that they don't know they're saying. That was a real good one. Uh, I went in to do some work for someone and showed up. They handed me this device and they said, okay, we've got it. This is great. It's fantastic. It's going to totally transform our product. We just need to be able to manufacture it cheaper. Well, that's what I do. So, okay, great. Uh, so I took a look at it, and I started asking them questions about it. I said, well, it was this device where uh, I don't even want to get into the details of it because I'm probably contractually prohibited. But, but, I, said, uh, but I said, okay, well, um, what's, the upper, what's the upper limit on what this is supposed to do? And, they, and they, they said, upper limit? I said, you know, your specification. They said, oh, it's supposed to do this. Okay, well, what are your tolerances? Because nothing's perfect. It's going to be a little above, a little below, kind of like the speed limit. And and so you'll be. Um, and so I was asking him, and he was saying, and he was saying, well, you know, we really don't have a lower. And I said, really? Okay. So have you tested this device? And no, they hadn't. Would you mind if I did? Well, sure, okay. we got about seven of them. They've been sitting around on the executive's desks. They've been playing with them for months. So I took it home and MacGyvered up a little test. Oh, my God, it was horrible. The thing was terrible. It was, I mean, that seen toys that could have done a better job. It was horrible. Well, they'd gotten somebody who was kind of a graphic artist to design this thing. And um, This was before 3D machines, right? Oh, no, this was it. Really? Yeah. But it was very small, and it was very clever, and I ended up being able to do a lot of work for those guys mm. because they cause they found out they needed that thing designed from the ground up. Mm. They had no way to do it, and they already they already had their packaging done. They had a little cavity in the package for it, so it couldn't get any larger. And and I said, well, who else has done this before? No one. Oh, okay. And there's there's a lot more to that story, but it's a bunch more points. But the neat thing was just kind of listening to what they didn't say. And sometimes, um, and that'll happen with me if you listen to what I'm saying. The stuff I don't say is probably going to tell you just as much as what I do. Mm-hmm. And I just kept listening to the facts that weren't there. Right. But you also knew what questions to ask to ascertain more information that they didn't even think was needed for you to be able to do the job the right way. 
Oh, yeah. After decades on the job, I'd better. Yeah, you should, right? But engineers are not famous for being, well, working very well with people. Like lawyers, they don't play well together with other people. Some do and some don't, but a lot of times it gets very technical and muddy, doesn't it? (laughs) And you're just kind of going. And I, I realize that. I realize that maybe I shouldn't have gone to engineering school. Maybe it should have been marketing school. Maybe it should have been something else because I like people a lot more than things. And engineers are supposed to like things more than people. And I'm kind of like the things are just a way to do stuff for the people. And so so they say, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I, I accidentally wandered into engineering school one day and they locked the door. And that's, okay. kind, of, and that's kind of what it was. And I got pretty good at it. And so, um, Just stuck with it. Well, I, I was good at it. I loved it. I love the way things go together. I love the way seeing things. My wife says I think in four dimensions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I look at the three dimensions that you can see, and I think what's going to happen over time or if something happens to it or something like that. And after spending, um, remember where we started our story, where I was cooling my heels for, you know, 15 years, trying to figure out, well, okay, now what am I going to do? I'm not designing. That's what I was meant for. What's going on? And it turned out that those years of figuring out how to make devices, how to make other people's stuff work, turned out to be the best way for me to figure out how to make my stuff work. And so I ended up, so where a lot of times people would design something and then they go, okay, now I've got to figure out how to make this work. Well, all that other work, I'm designing something. And I'm looking at it and I'm seeing the statistics of how it's going to, of how it's going to change shape and what's going to happen. And I'm looking at the materials, and I'm sort of visualizing it all in my mind while I'm doing it. And it's sort of happening in the background automatically. And if I, don't, I think if I hadn't spent those 15 years figuring out how to make all that stuff work, then none of that would happen. Mm. And so, and so it's, real, it's really important not to be forced to go back and reinvent everything. And so while I'm designing something that will work, I'm also making sure that we can actually manufacture it. It can actually be made with processes that people can afford. Nice. So this is a nice segue then into yeah. what does success look like to you? Still figuring that out. Um, obviously, uh, paying all our bills, putting some money aside. Um, I thought I wanted to grow the business and have more people involved, and then I realized I didn't want to manage it. I realized employee number six would be the CEO because I didn't want to do it. And I couldn't find anybody that I thought I would trust with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's just me. Probably my favorite thing to do is, and this, this makes my work a little bit more fun, my favorite thing to do is to help people figure out how to do hard things. Typical job. They have a young engineer you know, who they can afford. And maybe just two or three or four other people in the startup company. Now they get to a real problem. And they're going, well, this is obviously over this guy's head. And he's a, he or she, good young engineer, good folks, you know, well-educated, uh, smart, aggressive, but just inexperienced. And so, uh, so I like to say, I've got some experience. And so they'll bring, they'll bring me in to actually get it all to work. And I'll be, and I'll be doing all the little things that I do and all the weird stuff that you'd almost have to be there and understand in terms of been there, done that on statistical process control and geometric tolerancing and all these weird things that we use to make sure that it comes out correctly on the other side of the production line. 
No, I just got lost. What was the question again? What does success look like to you? I, I wish I would have gotten better sooner at when I engage with someone who has a different view. They think it should be designed a different way. Something else should happen. I wish sooner I'd gotten to the place where I could learn to assume that they might be right. Mm, That I would do. That I would do. Uh, I would do that in marriage. Uh, That would have made, uh, still married to the girl I got married to 43 years ago. Gosh, is it 44? Is it 34? It's a long time. Anyway, so no, it's 34. And uh, still in love with her. But I think the first 10 years would have been a lot easier if I'd been able to practice that one thing. Mm-hmm. So I would have I would have started on that much earlier. Okay. All right. So any advice for our audience? Any advice you can give them? Uh, just some quickies. Uh, number one, if you're having a rough time finding... Finding clients, I would uh, look up careertransitionworkshop.org and get in on a class. Right now we're doing them online for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. but we'll go back to in-person when that's uh, permissible. The second thing I would do is make sure that that your priority really is loving people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would do that in business which does not always mean being nice to them, but it always means watching out for them. And it doesn't mean taking care of them, and it doesn't mean paying off their bad debts, but it does mean treating them exactly the way you would want someone to treat you if the situation was reversed. And sometimes that may mean telling them the hard truth, but telling them in a way that gives them a direction to go. You can tell people the hard truth in a way that just smothers them in a solid cocoon of granite. And they can't get out. And they feel like there's no way to go. Or you can tell them, or you can can spend a little more time figuring out how to tell them. And then just tell them in a way which points to some other avenues for them to go with. So if they're having, uh, if if they're having trouble, for instance, finding a job, you can say, well, Sure, looking at the internet ads is one way to go. But if you want to increase it about 15-fold, your chances of finding something you really like, here are some things you can consider. You know, that's something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or you could say, well, making a super precise, accurate part that is down to like X number of decimals and it's all super-duper accurate and it's just perfect and it's theoretically amazing, that might be intellectually satisfying but understand that it's going to be injection molded and it's only going to be so accurate so design something that will design something that will work in the real world Mm -hmm. Um, and and sometimes it's just remembering to tell somebody when they totally rocked it Mm -hmm. you know when they got something right Um, I've had to some of the people we're mentoring I've called them up and I've gotten this is 553-6218 you know and I'm like if someone's calling you about about a job, they're going to have no idea who you are. They might not even try and call again, but if you have a good little message, hi, my name is Amy Smith, and I can't get to the phone right now, but at my first opportunity, I'll return your call. Please say your name and phone number after the beep. You know, if you do something like that, it's going to be great. So every once in a while, I'll run into somebody 
who has a great phone reply. Just amazing. Uh, my middle daughter is an example of that. And I've told her a couple of times, I said, you just killed it. That is fantastic. Anybody is going to want to call you back. And they'll be glad when you call them back, and they'll know it's you because they'll recognize your voice. Very so, true. Yeah. Wow. So tell us, how can we get in contact with you for the service that you offer, as well as just to hear more about your story or get more information? Well, the easiest way is on my site, uh, several places on the site, including the Contact Me page, has, has, got, uh, has got all kinds of ways to get hold of me. And they'll always be current. And the site is uh, J.R. Stockton, as in Fort Stockton, Texas, dot com. And so for, uh, for, some of the, for some of the other guys who are near and dear to my heart, uh, Juliet, Romeo, Sierra, Tango, Oscar, Charlie, Kilo, Tango, Oscar, November, dot com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Rick, for being on our show. We appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing and hearing great things about you and your company in the near future. Thank you very much. For more information about any of our guests, or if you have questions and comments, please email us at admin at com, And don't forget to check out our website, lemoncpa.com for upcoming events and workshops in San Antonio. David B. Plemons CPA Inc. is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or their concepts or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. or any of its officials. You should always consult your own investment advisors, attorneys, and accountants before making any decisions concerning your financial matters. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office. Chris Hall is a partner with Pontum Financial and offers securities and investment products and services through Waddell & Reed Incorporated, WRI, member FINRA slash SIPC. Pontum Financial is a separate entity from WRI. Waddell & Reed is not affiliated with David C. Plemons CPA. Waddell & Reed Financial Advisors are able to offer insurance products through arrangements Waddell & Reed has made with outside insurance companies. The information presented on this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not to be constructed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product or service mentioned. Any opinions expressed are those of Chris Hall and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's podcast, please call 210 625 4845 or visit pontumfinancial.com. Waddell and Reed does not offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a professional prior to making any financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.